0: Welcome to Political O.D., episode 23. Uh, on, uh we've seen the discussion around the Northern Ireland protocol go very quiet once the grace periods for supermarkets and uh, food deliveries to Northern Ireland have kind of been pushed back to October. Um, I guess we can expect October time to be another round of crisis talks and see where we are then, but in the meantime... I guess COVID is keeping down the fact that there's an awful lot of goods not arriving in Northern Ireland uh, for small businesses.
1: Yeah, the urgency seems to have gone out of these discussions completely. And it does seem to be that unless you've got some sort of looming deadline, then um, people's minds aren't focused enough to actually negotiate and actually get the grips with the things that are wrong. I mean, we know that the grace periods are sticking plaster, I think Arlene Foster called them. And for want of a better description, that's that's okay. So these rules are affecting uh, companies. They're creating a huge amount of bureaucracy for people who want to bring in very kind of simple things. I live pretty much opposite Johnson's uh, Coffee. And and I noticed Johnson's Coffee was uh, on the front of the newsletter the other day, because they're having to fill in 19 forms to bring in some um ingredients for for their coffee syrups
0: yeah Um, and some chutney as well so they must have a
1: a chutney jam all this all this kind of stuff that you get in in these fancy coffees that i don't drink but other people do it's a live issue and it's going to become even more apparent once shops starting start to open up and you begin to visit shops and and see that goods aren't on their shelves yet there doesn't seem to be anything happening on that front which is
0: disappointed. Yes, not much happening on any front. I mean, the, the question does arise when exactly would those shops perhaps be open because we've really had no indication from Stormont at all about a pathway out of lockdown. I mean, there's a, I think from tomorrow you kind of meet up with a few people in the garden or go out for a walk with somebody that's not in your household, but outside of that, there doesn't seem to be a great uh, idea of how to go forward. And that's uh, concerning given that the pace of vaccinations has certainly picked up in the past week or so. We, we heard uh, yesterday that the age group 45 to 49 uh, are now able to book a vaccine. Uh, that will more than eliminate 99% of all those at risk of hospitalization or even death. So you, we're getting to a point where well, certainly the population is relatively safe and the risk of the NHS falling over, which was always the reason why they said lockdown was happening, to protect the NHS, that, that's no longer going to be required. So it, it, it's a question of you know, what exactly do we think that decision-making process is going to be Yes, we're getting
1: down to groups now with the vaccinations um, that weren't really under any great risk from the disease in the first place. Um, 45 to 49-year-olds, relatively young people who weren't really turning up in any great numbers in hospitals or or ICUs. So what is this all about? Uh, you, you mentioned the, the kind of listening up of some restrictions tomorrow. Well, they, these are things people meeting up outdoors that shouldn't have been restricted in the first place really because they were very low risk anyway and which i think actually most people even those who've taken the the rules seriously probably have been doing now for a few weeks anyway yeah the rest of the united kingdom moves ahead um we've saw some we've seen some quite drastic changes in england sport coming back all of these kinds of things but we're waiting for all of that. And then once we get to the 12th of April, when in England you can go into a shop, a non-essential shop, or you can you know, go, go to a pub, beer garden or whatever, we get to click and collect, which again was never a particular risk anyway, and which we, we should have been allowed to do all through this lockdown. So why is it so slow? Is it because we're waiting for the Republic of Ireland to... Catch up and, and parties in the executive um are insistent in that are we waiting for Easter to elapse and then suddenly we'll announce all sorts of wonderful liberties?
0: Well, I think or we've got, we've got two
1: people, people just not know what they're doing.
0: On on people not knowing what they're doing, I think we have to know after uh, yesterday's announcement by the PPS on the story funeral, we have to wonder: Does anyone know what they're doing really? Because We have a situation whereby the establishment, uh, shall we say, in terms of the legal establishment certainly, seems thoroughly confused about what the rules actually are. The idea of enforcement by the PSNI of any uh, restriction now um, has to really be questioned because if nobody can say what the restrictions actually are, and they haven't really substantially changed since last year, they've been... In fact, made probably more complicated since last year. Um, it's difficult to know exactly how on earth the credibility of of the Northern Ireland executive in respect of COVID restrictions uh, can be uh, sustained. Well, if they had any, if they had any credibility in the first place.
1: Well, exactly. but I mean, we we follow. We, we follow these things very closely, what's happening at Stormont, David. And I mean, there are times when people uh, ask me what a particular restriction is, and I'm, I, I have an idea, but I'm not 100% sure. So I can only imagine that the, the vast majority of people who don't follow these things as closely will not have a clue. And also, of course, they'll hear the news, in the, the, the news at 10, or whatever in the news in England, and that will further confuse them because, um, they'll kind of assume that because we're a United Kingdom, <laughs> that we will have the same rules, which hasn't been the start, uh, hasn't been the case right from the very start. So, we're making such a, a mess of this, such a hodgepodge of it, um, and it looks like it's only going to get worse in the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. The, the fiasco of the story funeral. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of people saying that uh, because there were no prosecutions or fines or, or cautions or anything else that that's effectively locked down over in northern ireland i mean i'm not sure i would agree with that entirely because there will always be law-abiding people who will wait for the restrictions to be lifted before they will uh, get on with doing what they're supposed to do and i mean particularly mm-hmm. you think about shops and businesses which will certainly have to wait even while people you know pile into each other's homes in kind of environments where we know that COVID is more likely to
0: spread. I just find the whole issue uh, at the moment to be more than unsatisfactory, I guess, which is a, a very technical term in that it's a complete mess. And, and you know, the, the authority of Stormont and uh, the Northern Ireland executive is, is simply shot on this because the very lawmakers, the very people who are telling us what we have to do simply have ignored the rules that they make themselves and there seems to be no accountability at any level because now if you're confused then that's a that seems to be a perfectly acceptable public excuse for doing something that is to anybody's eyes in a in a normal world simply wrong it just seems that You've got a dislocation now between what people are seeing and what the Northern Ireland executive is saying ought to happen. You know, there doesn't seem to be any connection any longer between the rules and what actually happens on the ground. Uh, in that the people up who are making the rules seem to say, well, we can dismiss it. There's no accountability. Confusion seems to be a reasonable excuse as to why something didn't happen which just doesn't seem to be, in my world, an excuse at all.
1: Well, one of the most galling things about this whole kind of fiasco was the fact that from the very beginning, Sinn Féin had been among the most zealous of the executive parties in terms of demanding uh, restrictions, in terms of demanding lockdown, in terms of demanding the shutdown of schools at the start of this whole thing when there was evidence, even at that stage, that that's one of the last things that you should have been doing. And I mean, to all the people whose children have gone back to school have found it hard to, to settle back in, who may be falling behind in their studies, well, if you want somebody to blame, it's certainly the executive party, but Sinn Féin primarily, because that was always one of their sort of prime objectives and it's something that they kept on, they, they handed out some vile abuse. Um, to both uh, Boris Johnson and unionist parties who, who were trying to keep schools open at that time. Uh, there, there's obviously just flagrant hypocr- hypocrisy going on there. But I mean, I would have to say that having observed Northern Ireland uh, politics for, for more years than I would care to, to remember, that that's not a surprise to me because, I mean, this has always been in the background. And... The sort of glorious thing about pre-COVID was that largely, although Stormont had a profound impact on our lives, we were kind of able to ignore it from day to day, but that just hasn't been possible over the past uh, year because they they have been telling us in sort of intricate detail what we're allowed to do and what we're allowed, uh, allowed not to do in a day-to-day basis, and that's just not acceptable anymore.
0: When the SLP have called for a... A motion of, I think it's censor or something. Uh, tomorrow they're calling the assembly back. I think it's censoring uh, Conor Murphy and Michelle O'Neill to attendees at the funeral, I, I guess. But you know, seriously, even if the vote goes against Sinn Féin and there's every reason to think that it will agree that Conor Murphy and Michelle O'Neill uh, shouldn't have been at that funeral, but as with the, the Chief Constable, you know, where demands are being made for his resignation, are we really going to see much change going forward? Well, things
1: aren't going to change, and it's OK. The, the SDLP are calling for this motion of censure and getting you know, the Assembly back together again to discuss this. No doubt you know, everybody will, the other parties will condemn much in been have done to sort of a greater or lesser extent. There may even be... vote of censure. I know that uh, that the same thing was talked about back in in July, uh, just after this happened and nothing came of that. This time, maybe it will. Whether, you know, Simon Byrne, uh, whether the pressure increases on him or not, will he go? I I don't at this point know, but somebody else will come in and it's unlikely that they're going to take an absolutely completely different uh, view of policing than, than he does because that's Face it, the whole sort of rickety edifice of Stormont, the whole rickety edifice of devolution, is based on looking the other way when it comes to the, the misdeeds of Sinn Féin and previously the IRA. I
0: suppose, I suppose there's a there's a wider issue there, just on on devolution as a whole. You know, does devolution work? Because you know, we're very we're always talking about Northern Ireland, but you know, of course, Scotland. At the moment, they're heading into an election now. Uh, Storm elections a year away. The election campaign at the moment that's going to proceed in Scotland up to May, you know, here you have Alex Salmon coming back into the fray, uh, heralded as a potential kingmaker in a new assembly or a new parliament at Holyrood. Uh, a man who has quite willingly accepted that his character is, is less than Perfect, shall we say? And that's the character who would be a kingmaker in in a Holyrood Parliament. You've got Nicholas Sturgeon, who is basically offering lots of goodies for the uh, next mandate, the next the next Parliament. Uh, the question having you know, that pops out to mind, saying, "Well, what were you doing in the past seven years, Nicola? You know, would you not have been able to do some of that over this period? And, and your know, Scottish devolution, whether it's health education, um, certain elements of infrastructure haven't exactly been uh, great uh, performance wise. So you have to question whether our devolved institutions are actually fit for purpose and whether that inability to achieve anything much is institutional or just a very poor crop of politicians who don't really know what they're there for.
1: I mean, I'm I'm a uh, long-standing devo-skeptic, as as you know, David, and and I think it's baked into the whole system. I think, of course, we've got a very poor crop of um, of, of politicians too. Devolution, whether it's here or in Scotland and, and in Wales, to a sort of lesser extent, it hands people a certain amount of power without ultimate responsibility. And they always have the option to blame Westminster for their shortcomings. Whenever they fail to deliver, it's always Westminster's fault. And whenever anything positive happens, whether it's their doing or not, they always want to claim credit for it. And I don't even think that's entirely restricted to nationalist politicians, although the dynamic then becomes even more pronounced. It, it's any party that's in opposition to the government, even, even to an extent, you know, the, the localised versions of, uh, of the national parties will, will want to do something similar. Even in Wales, where nationalism is not strong, um, we've seen the, the current Labour government kind of play off this sort of divisive english Welsh yeah. thing, very keen to, to close the borders, very keen to, to sort of pin the blame on Westminster, very keen to, to to increase division. So it's not even just a facet of, of, of nationalism. It's something that comes as part and parcel of any devolved system of government, in my, in my view.
0: But I would not not nice.
1: say that you couldn't have better politicians doing a much better job of operating it
0: you do wonder though when you when you listen to I, I think uh, Nicola Mallon uh, who came out with the uh, a statement the other day about York Street interchange that interchange has been a bottleneck and a, a, a stain on our infrastructure for well over a decade if not a couple the money for that interchange was available in 2017 the 140 million set aside in the agreement between the DUP and the Conservatives in terms of uh, money coming to Northern Ireland, specifically for that piece of infrastructure. And I would imagine there would be a, a, maybe a rejig of the plans just in terms of the, the original plan had been many years before, so let's bring it up to date and see what very new processes or whatever could be brought in to facilitate the, the new piece of infrastructure as quickly as possible because everybody knows what an awful exchange injunction that is i thought that's what the most recent consultation was about and then the nicola malin press release that came out the other week was just a whole load of of gibberish about uh, about uh, the need for uh place well she accepted all the recommendations of whatever consultation it was um, and then said, "But I now need more consultation on placemaking and connectivity, connectivity, and the wider living places agenda." Didn't even know there was a wider living places agenda. It's a road. It's a junction. It's a creation of a huge amount of standing pollution as cars sit there forever trying to get through that road instead of whizzing through. I, I just. Place How long is this going to take? And then they haven't even, they haven't even cut out, you know, started to build the thing, which is going to take another five years. This, there's just an inability to make a decision. It's
1: wrong to accuse Stormont of not producing because what they can produce is an endless stream of consultation, documents, meaningless jargon, like placemaking and living spaces. I mean, What are they planning to build some houses underneath York Street Exchange or something? What absolute piffle. This is already a massive imposition on the people who live next to it. Updating it to work better is not going to make it worse in any way. It can only improve things because it will get traffic through that area a bit more swiftly. And I mean, as for drivers, that has been... Uh, one of the most frustrating things about driving in Belfast for, for, for many, many years. But, you know, that, that's Nicola Mallon all over. One moment uh, she'll be complaining about the British government opening up a Belf- uh, Belfast office and threatening to actually deliver some infrastructure projects. And then the next she'll be ordering a new round of consultation for a longstanding project that should have been delivered many, many years ago. Is there any better illustration of the way that Stormont and our devolved executive has failed to deliver than the continued um, snare up that there is at, at, at the end of, of our two biggest motorways. But
0: well, sadly there's probably all too many examples. Um, and I think that's, that's part of the part of the problem. Overspend and underperformance seems to be the way to go throughout the Northern Ireland executive at almost every level somewhat somewhat depressing on we're not we're not coming out the other side of this one are you are we
1: no (laughs) no it's it's not a but um you know we're speaking of underperformance um david i would like to mention that the northern ireland football team are playing tonight and i hope it's not i hope that they don't underperform it's been a while since we've actually won a game but um you know, taking it back to lockdown, the, the last competitive game that we played was in November against Romania when we had substantially higher rates of COVID at that time. And um, we were kind of, I think, going into another wave and there were more than a thousand people allowed into that match. But unfortunately, the team will have to perform without the Green and White Army again tonight. So can only hope that that goes well and that Northern Ireland beat Bulgaria and get three points on the board.
0: Well, I hope so, and let's let's uh, hope that by the time this is uh, out on the internet, that uh, we can all celebrate with our socially distanced or indeed locked down uh, pint. Uh, so, uh, speak to you next time, all. Great, thanks, David.